Well, we're in Genesis, and uh, boy, appropriate for the days we're living in, and yet such a grievous thing, and also uh, it's good to know the Lord, and good to know that uh, we belong to Him. And so the subject is Genesis uh, 18. Uh, We left off at 19, we'll back up to 16 and kind of pick up the the beginnings of it, and then also through all of chapter 19, um, Abraham, Lot, and Sodom, and Sodom and Gomorrah. Verses 16 through 19, we talked about the Lord's friendship with Abraham last week. Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham surely uh, shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the millions, I'm sorry, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, <clears throat> that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Excuse me. <clears throat> the little microphone right on the face. Um, but. You know, we talked about the Lord's friendship with uh, Abraham last week. And uh, God says how he knows him. He would uh, uh, not keep what he is doing from him. And from this, uh, he's called a friend of God. And Jesus said, you know, I don't keep things from you because I call you my friends. Uh, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And um, the Lord not hiding anything from us not hiding anything from Abraham, telling him, because he's his friend. And we looked at those verses. He says he'll bless, be blessed, and also be a blessing to all the nations of the earth through that seed, through his son, Jesus Christ, um, his, Abraham's descendant, and our, our father in heaven's son, the Messiah of Israel. God knows Abraham will instruct his children so that he can keep the way of the Lord. And then to do that righteous and justice that God would be able to bring about all that he said in Abraham's life. And we talked about that. And so he tells him what he's hiding or not hiding from him. He's not going to hide from him. And that's picking it up in verse 20. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry uh, against it that has come to me, and I will know. And if not, I will know. God hears the outcry against these cities. Um, What is the outcry that comes to God? Well, it's the sin. It says it's very grave there. He says he will go to see if it actually, the actual deeds match the outcry. And we know the Lord is everywhere, omniscient and uh, omnipresent, and he knows and sees all that there is going on. But, you know, we talked about the Lord was, uh, our Lord Jesus was the one that appeared to uh, Abraham and, and met with him. He calls him Lord. And um, uh, so he goes down and sends his two angels down to check it all out. Um, he'll go see. Verse 22 through 33, we, we see the story there. Um, actually, we don't see the story yet. That's in 19. We're going to learn a little bit more about Abraham. So then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Would you uh, also destroy the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous that were in it? Well, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked, well, far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right or do justly? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Well, then Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there are five less than fifty righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for a lack of five? And so he said, If I find there forty-five, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose there be forty found there. Just another five off the top. 
And so he says, I will not do it for the sake of 40. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. And so he said, I will not do it if I find 30. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. And so he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Finally, he says, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. But once more, suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. And so the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Abraham knows his nephew Lot is there. Um, And he knows that uh, Lot has found his way to live into the city. And he knows that there's going to come destruction. Because the outcry that comes against him is grave sin. The Lord's going to see. And Abraham knows. He's not ignorant of what happened at the flood. He's not ignorant of what happened uh, at the Tower of Babel. And he knows that God will judge. Um, What do we learn about Abraham? He's a friend of the Lord, so he can ask these questions. even says he he knows that he's nothing but dust. He's nothing but ashes. And yet he's a friend of God, and he knows he can ask these questions, even though he says, don't be angry. I just want to know. He knows Lot's in Sodom. He also knows God is righteous and just. He knows the way of the Lord. We read that in verse 19. He is righteous. He is just. So he asks the Lord, would he slay or sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Boy, that's a good question. Left alone by itself, 50 or 10, doesn't matter. Would the Lord swipe away the righteous when he's pouring out his wrath on the wicked? So he says, um, far be it from you. And the Strong's concordance for that word, far be it, is all one word. Um, It basically is the same thing as God forbid. I mean, we've all heard that before, the phrase God forbid. Um, Far be it from you, God forbid, let it not be. In other words, the word actually means it's a given. This doesn't make any sense that it would be any other way. God forbid. It would be, um, there's no other way to think about it, is is the meaning of the word. It's obvious. It's a given. It's plain knowledge, unthinkable for anyone who knows anything about God and his nature. That's what that word means, God forbid. It's just a given. And so Abraham is asking the Lord, knowing his nature, that he would not judge the righteous with the wicked. And he says, being judge of all the earth. And we know what a judge is, but the word is the one who decides, executes, and punishes. So it's judge, jury, and executioner. And he says... um, you know, what is, what is, will the judge not of all the earth not do justly or not do what's right? And that word justly is proper, fitting, measured out and due. The judge, judged at the judge's seat in the courtroom, the case decided, the procedures followed, the outcome is true and the executed in the right manner. It's done the way it's supposed to be done. That is what justly means. And we're pretty much strange to that these days because you see things going on and no justice whatsoever all the time. And yet we know, everybody knows deep down what true justice is. And, you know, we are grateful that God was not just with us in and of ourselves in our own sin and our own flesh because that means we had to die. That means that there was no hope for us. But Jesus took that upon himself. And... Um, That is the gospel. Abraham realizes he doesn't know how many righteous there are down there. He he knows there's a lot, and he's got a couple daughters and a wife, and so maybe four. And so he starts off, wants to see if five people will make a difference with the Lord. So he says, how about 45? And it occurs to him that God does know exactly what the number is, and so he kind of just, let's take it down to 40 and 30 and 20, even only 10 And the Lord gives his word on 10 that he would not destroy the whole city if he found 10 righteous. The truth is that God will not destroy a single righteous person with the punishment of the wicked. Turn to John 3. I'm going to go through the next few four or so verses kind of quickly. But John 3, 36, we all deserve that wrath and that... um, judgment but he who believes in the son has everlasting life and he do, who does not believe the son 
shall not see life. But look at this. It says, but the wrath of God abides on him. Or it means abides on him still. In other words, we're born sinners. We're born, um, you know, in a fallen nature. And except for Jesus, you know, wrath is on us. It's just the way it is from birth. Now, um, I guess I didn't think about this, but going into a whole other doctrinal issue, uh, the difference between, um, you know, what David said about his son who died. He says, I know I'll see him again. And he's talking about uh, the Lord having this age of accountability that only the Lord knows where a, a child will get to a certain age where they reach that point where they can make up their own mind and decide for themselves and they, they take account and God holds them accountable for their actions. And so that age is an age of accountability. And so, yes, we are born in sin, but a child who dies um, before that age of accountability based on what he, David said about his son, you know, they're going to be right into the, the hands of the Lord. Um, and uh, all have sinned. There is none that are righteous. But Abraham believed God, it says, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Then Romans 5, verse 9. We're talking about God's judgment, God's destruction that's coming about in chapter 19. We'll read about that, but Romans 5, 9 says, Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. It says, so through faith in Jesus we are justified, found righteous in him, and saved from destruction. Now, let's go to 1 Thessalonians 1. I'm letting you read these verses for yourself, and then you can mark them down too. Um, knowing... The nature of God is what we're getting at. Would he pour out his wrath on the righteous when he judges the wicked? First Thessalonians 1 verse 10 says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus Christ, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now we can think about, think about the tenses here. Think about the, the timing here. The wrath is coming. He says he saves us from what is coming, from that wrath that is coming. Now skip over the next page on chapter 5. We'll read 1 through 11. There was some guys that had written letters to the Thessalonians after Paul was there, and he was saying, the Lord's come back. And so there's great fear in the Thessalonian church um, that they had missed the rapture that Paul had taught them about. And he says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, I ha you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. In other words, nobody's going to know it's coming. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that the day would overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light, and sons of the day, we are not of the night or of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as the others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are doing. And he's talking about the, the rapture, the Lord coming, and that being ahead of the wrath. It comes before the wrath. It does not fit. God forbid. Let it never be. That it doesn't fit with the nature of our God and our Savior to destroy the righteous with the wicked or pour out his wrath on the children. I mean, we're the bride of Christ. Israel was the wife of the father, or is the wife of the father. We're the bride of Christ. You know, he's going to pour out his wrath on his bride right before she goes to meet him and to the wedding feast. There's so much that doesn't make sense about that. And it's a comfort. He says comfort one another with these things. Far be it from God to do so. Just as Abraham said, he shall not the judge of the earth do rightly and deal justly. And so the Lord departs for Sodom. If you want to turn back to Genesis 19, 
The Lord departs for, for Sodom, and Abraham goes back to his tent, hoping there's at least nine other righteous besides Lot. You know, because Abraham never got word back what the Lord found when he got there to go down to see. You know, and you have to wonder if that timing, you know, he could have been there in a flash. And he sees all. He didn't have to go down there and look for himself um, and send these angels down to look for themselves. Um, but for Abraham's sake, he did that. Genesis 19, we'll read uh, 1 through 29. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night. Wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly so that they turned into him, entered his house, and, they made, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Same with Abraham. They made a feast and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house, and they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them carnally. And so Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, that you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. And they said, this one came to us to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And so they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands, pulled Lot into the house with them, shut the door, and they struck the men with blindness who were at the doorway of the house, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry of them against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law and who married his daughters and said, Get up and get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But look at this. To his sons-in-law, he seemed to be a joke or be joking. And when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, unless you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while lingering or hesitating, the men took hold of his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And so it came to pass when they had brought him outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. And then Lot said to them, Please, no, Lord, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. Now, uh, See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's, an, and it's a little one. Please let me escape there. And it is not a little one, or is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of that city was called uh, Zoar. The sun has risen upon the earth, and Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord reigned brimstone and fire on Sodom from the Lord out of heavens, out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Abraham went early in the morning to, place, to the place where he had stood with the Lord, and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham. And he sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities 
in which Lot had dwelt. As it turns out, there were not ten righteous, as it turns out, in Sodom. But God did remember Abraham. Um, the angels turn aside and go into Lot's house, and they get his family out of there. If the Lord's going to destroy, well, he's going to take out the righteous. And that's another picture of the rapture. What do we know about Lot? Well, he had come out of Ur of the Chaldees with Abraham, and his father, uh, Haran, had, had died, and he came out with Terah, his, his uncle, or his uh, yeah, grandpa, and came all the way up to what they called Haran and, um, with his father's house. Then he came with Abraham out of Haran from his father's house to Canaan, even to Moreh and Bethel where God had appeared to Abram. Abraham, and Abraham had built altars to the Lord. Lot was there for all that. He was following. Remember, they, they had to be split up because they had too many sheep. Um, and they needed to find different uh, areas to be because there was too much of it. But until that time, they were together. Lot knew all of this. He knew that the Lord had called out Abraham and that he had blessed him. In Genesis 12, he came out of his father's house. In Genesis 13, we see that God had blessed him and his flocks that had grown to the point uh, to, that they had to part ways because the land couldn't support all they had. He chose the well-watered Jordan Valley and the plains down there. And remember the maps, that was that whole green area. And even to this day, uh, where the Dead Sea is, is uh, nothing grows there. But there are areas north of there that they have uh, watered those areas, and they're growing all kinds of things. And that's the life coming back to Israel. Um, But uh, he chooses that well-watered Jordan. Verse 12 says, He was dwelling in tents around the cities of the plains outside of Sodom. By Genesis 14, he had moved into Sodom, and they had taken him captive. Uh, Then with uh, Chedorlaomer, the king that came in and took them all captive, and Abraham went and uh, chased him down. But now we see upon their return, getting back, not only had he built a house in Sodom, but he was the prominent guy in the gate that he would greet people who came into the gate. So from, from uh, just hanging around the outskirts of this wicked city, um, eventually he just uh, ends up moving right in and living in the city. And uh, by Abraham's discourse with the Lord, he implies that his nephew Lot is righteous. And if you want to turn to Second uh, Peter, chapter 2, we're talking about everything we learn about Lot. Second Peter 2, verses 7 and 8. Um, he's talking about false teachers and what the Lord, um, how the Lord won't spare fallen angels. He won't spare, he will judge. Um, he didn't spare the ancient world, uh, but saved Noah. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. But look at this, delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. It says he was a righteous man, but it says that he was oppressed. Um, The word oppressed in the King James is uh, vexed, and it means to tire down with toil, to wear you right down with toil, to exhaust with labor, to afflict with trouble, to treat roughly. In other words, living there, listening, hearing, seeing what these guys are doing, it just wore him right down. It vexed his righteous soul. The word tormented there is the word tested, distressed, the same way you try and test uh, with fire. It, it means harassed grievously. You know, you, it, it kind of makes you wonder if what the Lord heard the outcry of Sodom against, against Sodom might have been what he saw going on in righteous Lot, um, what the Lord saw that Lot was dealing with. Um, so... Because the filthy conduct was all he saw and heard day after day. Well, does any of this feel familiar to you? Um, 
as sad as it is, schools are forcing young kids to see and hear this exact same thing. The same filthiness. The same thing that vexed Lot's righteous soul. And um, if you turn to Luke 17, we know because of this very thing. And you know, it might have been worse in many other countries around the world, but I think it's a little different. There's still countries that, that uh, you know, look at this type of sin and they, they literally put you in jail for it. Um, in fact, it's still in the books. And, um, but really, it seems like these days that we're living in, things have gotten in this particular area more so than just about anything except what we're looking at here tonight. But now it's across the world. In uh, verses 20 through 36, he says, now, when he had asked the Pharisees when the, uh, when the kingdom, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for the kingdom of God is within you. And he said to his disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. In other words, the time he had spent with them. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Well, do not go after or follow them. For as the lightning flashes out of one part under heaven and shines to the other part under heaven, so shall the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things, be rejected by this generation. And as it is, as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, were giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day that when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is in the housetop and his goods are in the house Let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in in one bed, and one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. Uh, The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field and one will be taken and the other will be left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. And um, basically, just like these angels trying to grab a hold of Lot and his two daughters and wife, come on, quit hesitating. There's no time to go grab something from the other room or there's no time to convince any more people. They found four righteous. Well, that's not ten. They had to take them out. And so they, by God's gracious Mercy says God was merciful, and for Abraham's sake, he got Lot out of there. Um, Just like Lot, we will also be taken out before God destroys the wicked. In Genesis 19, learning more about Lot, he sat in the gate where the angels came. They had just come from Abraham. He knows his own town and what would happen to these men if they stay in the public area. He wants to protect them, but notice his tolerance for the sin that's all around him. When the men of Sodom come to take the men, he offers his daughters to try and appease their appetites. You know, he's been so long tolerating this that he calls these wicked men of Sodom my brethren. You know, that meant a lot more back then than it does today. Now you can you call a brother a guy who roots for the same team you do. You know, but uh, back then that was different. That meant that you'd fight alongside such a one, you know. Um, So much of so-called Christianity today not only tolerates, but they will defend and promote and encourage what the Bible calls wickedness, sin, and filthy perversion. They'll put their rainbow diversity flags in the church windows, thinking it shows God's love for all people. Well, God does love all people, and he desires that none would perish. But what's the rest of that verse? that all would come to repentance, right? Jesus came to save sinners, not to condone sin. Let's look about 
Bible says about uh, Sodom. Um, in, Chan- in Genesis chapter 10, Sodom was a Canaanite town. Remember, he, he, uh, Canaanite, or, uh, Canaan was descended from Ham, the son of Noah, who was cursed for exposing his father's nakedness. I don't know if there's any genetics involved with that or not. I know that you're not born that way. We'll get to that. But uh, it seems like something was already starting to happen. Genesis 13, it was well watered like the Garden of Eden. And yet it says men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked against the Lord in Genesis 13. In Genesis 14, the king of Sodom, remember him? He was the guy that, just give me the people. I don't care about all the goods and the stuff. I just want people. He had uh, desired who knows what to do with these guys, but... Genesis 18, their sin cries out to the Lord, cries out to God. Kind of like the way Abel's blood cried out to God. And God hears. We learn in Genesis 18, where we just read, there's less than ten righteous. Those men that came out to have sex with the men in Lot's house came from every quarter of Sodom, every neighborhood, small, great, rich, poor, even all the young, it says, and all the old. And they press on, even after being blinded, still groping around for the door until they're too weak and too weary. What is that? Like the, like the king of Sodom that only wanted the persons he didn't care about anything else. And now, if just quoting uh, when Israel went after the same kind of things in Isaiah 3, it says, look on their countenance. It witnesses against them. And they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. In Jeremiah twenty three fourteen, uh, also I have seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They also strengthen the hand of evildoers. It's not enough for themselves to be out there. They're also strengthening the hands of others that are, are wicked. All of them are like Sodom to me, all her inhabitants like Gomorrah. They gather together. They strengthen others to do evil. And you know, it's interesting. You're not going to reproduce in that type of lifestyle, so you have to recruit. And we go back how many decades now ago, and when it was already the Boy Scouts were their target. But we look at Sodom, we're learning about Sodom right now. Not necessarily the sin of Sodom yet, but go to Ezekiel, and we see a little better glimpse of exactly what was going on there because we always think of the one thing in fact there's a name for it you know they actually name it after Sodom and um, that's what we always focus on and that is definitely the abomination but if you look at Ezekiel 16 verses 49 and 50 the Lord reveals a little bit more of what's all going on there look this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom, because Israel, again, he's speaking to Israel, and they're going after the same type of thing. But look, uh, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride. The sin of Sodom was pride. They had fullness of food, nothing to worry about. They had an abundance of idleness, lots of uh, sitting around. Neither did, she strengthen, uh, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor or needy. So you'd think that they would, you know, have all this extra. There'd be something left over. Their hearts were such that they would not even reach out to help the needy, keeping it for themselves. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness, neglected the poor, haughty. You know what haughty is? It's that look of condescendence towards anybody else. Um, you, you know, you can picture a haughty look, but there's people who have haughty hearts that are that will look just as friendly as can be. But you know, then you find out eventually, or if you never do, that's just on them. Um, but they committed abominations before God. That was their sin that cried out to the Lord that we read about. And not only that, it says here again, they encouraged and strengthened others to sin as much or more than they did. And Jude seven um, says. Um, I'll just read it quick. Just one verse, uh, Jude, verse 7 says, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, well, they're set forth as an example, 
suffering the vengeance of internal fire. And he's talking about apostates and angels who fell from their place and also like Sodom. You know, they're an example because they suffered the vengeance of eternal fire. God will judge. God is just. He will judge the wicked. What does the Bible say about the sin of Sodom? Well, this is the graphic end of this whole bit, and it's grievous, but it's what the Bible says about it. And once we're done with it, then we're done with it. But this way we know that uh, you can tell the truth. You know, um, jot down the verses. This is a big topic in our day. It's political, but it's not. It's spiritual, and it's on our land. It's in our city. It's uh, probably the one thing, that or something, that's going to start bringing the persecution on the church for speaking out against it. And that's why you'll see a lot of churches put their rainbow flag in the window so that they can maybe avoid that a little bit. But um, Genesis uh, 19, we read, at Lot's house, it says they demanded to know them carnally. That's sexual relations. It's sodomy. Lot says, do not act so wickedly, do not do so wickedly. He describes it as wickedness. He wants to give them his daughters to appease their urges, but they refused. They only wanted sex with men, homosexuality. This is the outcry of the grave sin that God hears from Sodom. Leviticus 18.22 says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as uh, with womankind. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20.13, If a man also lie with mankind, he, as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. And it says, Their blood be upon them. Now, Israel had their own problems with this. If you want to jot down for some homework, uh, Judges chapter 19 and 20, there's a story about um, a particular band of uh, Israel, Israelites that were uh, just all into this. And you can read that for yourselves. Um, again, Judges 19 and 20 for your own homework. But turn with Romans 1. I'm sure you've most of you have been probably thinking about Romans 1 right now uh, for how that fits. Um, been through this many times, but that's because we're living in the days. And it's such a, a, a good understanding of how things get the way they get. Um, we're going to see here that clearly you are not born that way. Uh, if you would like to say that to somebody. I'm talking rhetorically here. Um, one, uh, let's just read through 18 through 32. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Sounds like an oxymoron, but it's true. It's, uh, they're clearly seen, being understood by the things that were made. If you see a painting, you know there has to be a painter. If you see this creation, you know it has, there has to be a creator. Um, because uh, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There's no excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and in their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, it starts in the heart. Keep your eye on that. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creepy things. You know, in Jeremiah, he talks to these guys, and he actually mocks them. He says, you're going to take this piece of wood, some of it you're going to throw in the stove so you can cook your food, some of it you're going to build a house with, and this other part of this wood you're going to carve into a little tree, or into a little idol, and you're going to throw it on a cart, and you're going to haul it around and call it your God. I mean, if you've got to haul your own God around in a cart, then you've got the wrong God. He should be, you know, taking care of your needs if he's God, not the other way around. Um... So professing to be wise, they become fools, change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, creepy things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts. Where is it at? 
It's not in their genetics. It's not in their, in their, you know, they weren't born that way. It starts in the heart. To dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchange the truth of God for the lie. It says, for the lie, singular, who worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And so the lie, well, atheism. There is no God. You know, uh, to, to look at all creation and deny and tell themselves, harden their hearts and begin to just worship things. You know, maybe they don't carve a little idol out of it. Maybe they just really worship the house that they built. Maybe they just melted down the ore and made the seal and made the car that they, and that's their idol. You know, the things that, that they allow themselves to worship, anything other than the one true God, the one true creator, that's the lie. Worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up. Boy, that is the scariest words in the Bible. God giving up on somebody. Giving them up to vile passions. For their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. That is vile. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned their, uh, in their lust for one another. That is vile. Men with men committing what is shameful. It's vile. It's shameful. Receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. Isn't that what we read? Their blood be upon their own heads. When we were talking to, uh, looking at the, uh, the Old Testament. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. Some more scary words. God gave them over. Please, Lord, don't ever give me over. To a debased mind. To those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, and knowing the righteous judgment of God, they still know the righteous judgment of God. That those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. They'll put their flags out. You're all good buddies, you know. But look at this. Is, is homosexuality the only sin listed here? Unrighteousness, sexual immorality, yeah. Wickedness. Covetousness. Wait a minute. You can't even tell if somebody covets. That's on the inside. You know, remember when Jesus says, if, if you covet, you've already committed adultery in your heart. In other words, it's, it's in the heart. It starts in the heart. And so it's not anything that comes from your being born like this. They know the truth. They suppress it. Everything in creation declares his nature, but they do not give him glory or show any thankfulness. God gives them over to vile passions, uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, it says. It's a heart issue. Again, you're not born like this. It's not biological. To dishonor their own bodies among themselves, that's a sodomy and lesbianism. Given up to vile passions, and the vile passions to the point of blindly groping until they're weary and wore out just from trying to find the door after being blinded. Exchange the natural use for what is unnatural. When somebody says, what's wrong with it? It's as simple as it's not natural. God didn't make it like that. Contrast that to what he did do. Adam and Eve, leave and cleave. One man, one woman, created by God for such, and at the end of the day, at creation, God saw that it was very good. But sexual sin is shameful. From a debased mind, he says in Romans, things not fitting. The list in Leviticus we read a few weeks back, you know, the, the contrast to the way God intended it to be with Adam and Eve. They know the righteous judgment of God, but go on practicing this anyway. Or they tolerate it, supporting it, encouraging it, promoting it, those that do. Now, we have established biblically that homosexuality is sin, it is grave. It is grievous, and it cries out to God. Is it the only sin? Well, we already saw a little bit of the list, but that 
begs the question because that seems to be top of the list. You want to say to the person who needs the Lord who's in that lifestyle that that's the one thing that's wrong with you. Well, you know, if you started with the Ten Commandments, they might come to the Lord, you know, just over that. Because all lie, you know, all uh, steal at one time or another in their lives. But there are some sins that are worse than others. Um, Galatians 5, or I should say, we'll get to that in a second. Galatians 5, it's uh, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, that which is adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. The word there in the Greek, pharmakia. You can do with that what you want. Hatred, which is murder, the Lord said in the heart. Contentions, in other words, everything's got to be an argument. Jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, evil, or I'm sorry, envy, murders, uh, drunkenness, or drunkenness and revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, that wrath abides in Revelation 21. We're talking about those that will inherit the kingdom of God. We're talking about sin because homosexuality is not the only sin out there. Revelation 21, 6 through 8. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, there's that word again, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Are some sins worse than others? Are any more or less forgivable? Well, in this life, you're certainly going to reap what you sow. You know, if you sin in fornication and there's a pregnancy, well, there's, you're reaping what you sow. Um, and uh, if you sin in thieving and you get caught and you go to jail, you reap what you sow. That's going to be a big difference. What Paul said in Romans and what the Lord said in the Old Testament is if you're going to commit this sodomy, you're going to receive in yourselves and your blood will be upon your own you know, there is going to be a consequence, and it's severe. It seems to be a more worse thing in this life. But, you know, there will be treasures that, you know, in the, let me look. In this life you will reap what you sow and suffer consequences, as we see in Romans 1. But when the kingdom of God comes, the most important thing is whether or not you're in or out. Now, what I'm trying to say by that is, is if you repent, from any of these, all of the above, you know, then they're, you're saved. Then you've been washed, you've been cleansed, and we'll get to that in a second. But um, what matters is not the severity or how wicked this sin was compared to that sin when it comes down to entering into the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's a difference where we lay up treasures and those that, uh, you know, lay up treasures ahead, and, and that's a difference. But there's also those that... Uh, get in by the skin of their teeth, if you will, it's mountain like smoke. And yet, the point is, they will be in the kingdom of, of heaven with the Lord for all eternity. And it says, uh, there's no difference between lies and envy and sodomy. If sin is sin, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 6, and I'll tell you what I'm trying to get at here. Because let's face it, they call us homophobes. Well, there's no fear involved. I mean, I'm, why would anybody be afraid of that? If anything, you're afraid for the person and what their eternity is going to be. Um, or whatever phobia, whatever perversion phobia, transophobe or something, whatever they call it all these days. Um, and they're trying to tell you that you need to be afraid. Um, and that's not the case. But look at this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. 
Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators or idolaters or adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. As were such, uh, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. He's talking to this Corinthian church. Corinthian church was probably one of the most carnal churches. They had, they had the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they had a rough time letting go of the flesh. And he's trying to tell them, you know, don't be involved with these things. You have to realize, for these things, the wages of sin is death, if you're going to walk in these things. You know, but it says, as such, or and such, were some of you. And that's true. Whatever's in this list, you might see some of those as being more disgusting than others in your own mind, uh, but they're all the same. Because that's what some of you were, except you were washed all our sin is gone, washed off with the blood of the Lamb of God. The shame is gone. The conscience is clear, sanctified, made holy, separated apart from our sin to God. Justified means we're made right with God. All things are the way they're supposed to be. All in Jesus. He goes on to say that we were bought with a price. Well, therefore glorify God with your bodies, he says. How can we walk in the light and still practice sin ongoing. You can't keep walking in these things. No matter what it is you've been forgiven of, um, you know, and you've come to the Lord and you've given your life to Him, why would you walk in these things? We really can't. Um, how do you win a sinner to Christ without the Holy Spirit convicting them of their sin? If they have no shame for their sin, well, then they're not going to see a need for a Savior from their sins. You tell them in love what they're doing is sin and you know by their response whether they're going to be ashamed, whether they're going to be broken, or whether they're going to start defending themselves and they're going to start trying to point the finger back at you. Light came into the darkness and the darkness hated the light for their deeds were evil. Our deeds are just as evil but with the conviction that God brought that he would judge the wicked when he brought that to us when we were broken. When we had become, um, you know, to the whatever point we came to in our lives that we began to look up to the Lord and, and want to call out to Him. He brought that shame to our hearts for our sin. And then the gospel. He brought the good news after that, that He loves us, that He died for us. And we we're bought by His blood and we've been washed and sanctified and justified. The gospel is good news, that he loves us and died for our sins. His loving kindness, it says, is what leads people to repentance. But the law convicts them of their sin. That's what we read a few weeks back when we were going through a little bit of Romans. You know, you read the law, you go through these things, so that a person knows that what they're doing is wrong. You don't hang up a rainbow flag and say, oh, it's all good, God loves you. No, what you're doing is sin. What you're doing is vile. It's shameful. It's an abomination. That's the law, but that brings the conviction. And now you bring the gospel and say, now that you know you're a sinner, let me introduce you to the Savior. You have to have the law. You have to have uh, the schoolmaster that brings you the knowledge of sin. And so, yes, we would say what you're doing is sin, even though it's no different than what were, what were the other list, the whispering. It's in that list, whispering. It's funny how people think the littlest things are just little things, but sometimes the littlest things can be the biggest. Um, you know, if we give, we have the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and eternal life in Jesus Christ, we don't have any fear. We have a sound mind. You know, the Lord said he gives us that. If we've given our lives to God, then we find that boldness to talk about repentance from sin not just hanging up that flag. And sorry to harp on that, but I see one every time I go down the trail on, by the river when I'm walking down there. Anyways, um, I'm not going to walk in there because I just don't know what that would turn into. But some, again, we give our lives to God. We find that boldness to talk about these things. Some will be broken and ashamed. They'll desire forgiveness. They'll want to know how to be saved. 
and some will be defending their sin. They will hate you, and they will actually have fear of you. Uh, and as such, they're going to want to get rid of you just for calling it sin. No, I'm born this way. No, it's sin. Uh, no, this happened. No, it's sin. Leave it at that. And now come to the Savior, and he will cleanse you from that sin. He will change all that and give you the right so that you can do justly, so that you can be justified. All we can do is be bold in the face of persecution and knowing that some would be, would be saved, some would be set free in all of this. And um, the final few verses of Genesis 19 is another strange story. Just verses 38, or 30 through 38. So Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. He was really afraid once he realized what was coming. You know, there's a whole lesson, too, in in Lot's wife turning back, but we kind of covered that. You know, one's on the rooftop, one's taken, one's left. Don't go down and try and find something to take with you. Um, Anyways, Lot went uh, up out of Zoar, dwelt in the mountains with his two daughters that were with him. He was afraid to dwell in Zoar, and he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father's old, and there's uh, no man on the earth. Well, that's a bit of an exaggeration. To come into us as the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, we'll make, and we'll lie with him, and we'll preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he did not know when she lay down or when she ar- Rose, And it happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also. The younger arose, lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn uh, bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son, called his name Ben-Ami. And he is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. And if you look at Deuteronomy 2.9, when Moses was bringing the children of Israel back into, into the land, they were going past the land of the Moabites and the land of the Ammonites. And the Lord said to them, you know, don't go up and mess with these guys because I gave them that land. I promised it to uh, Lot and gave it to Lot, even to the lineage of David and our Lord, down from Ruth, the Moabitess. Second Peter said Lot was a righteous, uh, and God knows how to deliver the godly from temptations. We read, and it res- He reserves the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. God will come for us one day, like He says, and and we see the world lined up with everything he said it would be like when he comes. But if there's a lesson to be learned from Lot in this last few verses, it's as simple as this. Every time you see drunkenness in the Bible, nothing good happens. I'll leave it at that. Um, Even in a world like the days of Noah, in a world like Lot and Sodom, that vexes our righteous souls till he takes us out. The only thing I can say through all this is fear nothing. You don't have to be afraid. You're not a phobic, you know, you love, you know, like we talked about. Fear is a motivation for a lot of people, but it's not a good motivation. Love is a great motivation. And uh, if you're motivated by love, people will know that. People will be able to tell that. Um, And, you know, we all know people in our lives these days that practice these lifestyles. And like I said, it's grievous. It's grave. Um, The wages of sin is death. It's grievous, and it's especially grievous when it goes through and talks about the young and the old, all of them, the rich, the poor, from every side of town in Sodom. And now we see it in our schools, literally being told all these filthy things um, as young kids by our public schools. We are definitely in the last of the last days because that's when he said he would take us out because he's going to start coming and bringing judgment and not to mention all that we see going on in Israel these days. 
Fear nothing but God and be bold with the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Um, Lord, you know what we need in order to uh, share your love and witness. And more than anything, Lord, we pray that you'd be by your Holy Spirit already working in the lives of these people, no matter what the wickedness is, that you'd be bringing conviction to them so that when we tell them what sin is and what the wages of sin is, I pray that you would be uh, softening their hearts to receive it. And then, Lord, that they'd receive the gospel. We just pray for all those people that you've got in our lives and that you'll be bringing into our lives this week. And if not, Lord, how you'd be continuing to prepare us for what you'd have us do. And um, We just lift that up to you and thank you for that. And Again, so grateful and thankful for all that you've done for us and the promise of eternal life. And Lord, we can't wait. We look forward to being with you. In Jesus' name, amen.